The reading this evening is taken from 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 to 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then... Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word revealed in scripture and in your son. The word of creation, the word of life, the word of power, the word of new life. We ask, Heavenly Father, that your word would penetrate us tonight. Open our ears to hear you and our hearts to respond to whatever word you have for us within your word. Would you use my words for your glory and for our blessing? Amen. Well, thank you, Jonathan, again, but thank you all. It's been a real privilege for Rachel and I to be part of your congregation these last four or five months. It's really helped us to settle into Leamington and to to be able to begin to let go of the long, strong, rich relationships that we had with people, the fellowship that we had with our last congregation, which um, we were with in several sections Um, over the course of 20 years. So it's been a real wrench for us to let go of all of that, and it's been a real blessing for us to be part of your congregation in the evening. So thank you. I guess it's probably not often that you have somebody um, uh, preaching from the front who's actually a member of your congregation who's a newcomer. Um, And I just want to say to you... um, Keep remembering there are always newcomers amongst you, and they may not look new. They may, look, they may be older, they may be younger, they may be different to you, but your turning and smiling and chatting with them after the service may be the one thing that makes it possible for them to come back and to begin to feel at ease and at home. So thank you for what you've done for us. Please don't stop now. Keep doing it for whoever else 
joins us in the future. So here we are. It's the seventh of eight sessions in our series on 1 Peter. If you're a visitor today, it may help you if I give you a quick summary of where we've got to. Previously in 1 Peter, Nero is the Roman emperor and he's got it in for the Christians. And a wave of horrific persecutions is sweeping right across the world. Peter, the leader of Jesus' 12 apostles, the beginning, the, the first of the church, he is now writing a general letter of encouragement which is being sent out to churches right across the world to be read out in congregations. I've just watched the two popes. I'm a little behind the times. Have you seen it? You see the two popes? There's a moment where there's a flashback to Argentina in the 1970s. And if you remember, if you've seen it, if you remember, priests are being hustled out of their congregations and they're being shot in the street. How if that were happening now? How if Jonathan and I, standing up on the stage, were keeping a wary eye open on the door at the back there to see, you know, to hear when it gets burst open and people start charging in? How would that affect us as a congregation? It wouldn't be surprising, would it, if the Archbishop of Canterbury wrote an email to us all, possibly from hiding, in which he encouraged and exhorted us in this particular terrible, uh, tense situation that we're in. You wouldn't be surprised if in that email, he didn't just refer to it once and then talk about a whole lot of other things that were, you know, nice things that were happening to him in Tenerife. You wouldn't be surprised if he kept referring back to persecution. So it's not surprising that in this letter from Peter, Peter keeps coming back to the problems and the concerns and the fears and the anxieties and the ways of dealing with persecution. Jonathan asked us a question right at the beginning of the series. How can we live godly lives in a world where everyone else follows very different values? And Peter has been helping us to answer this question through his reflections to the church of his generation in their situation. So chapter one was about remembering the joy of coming to know Jesus and the hope which citizenship in heaven gives to us. Chapter two, look after each other. You're not alone. Stand by each other. Also re respect your civic leaders, whatever you think of them. Thirdly, behave well. And then chapter three, show Christ's characteristics to the world. Whatever they are throwing at you, reflect back Christ to them. And speak courageously for Christ wherever you get the opportunity. And then we climax in chapter four, verse one. Remember that Christ suffered for you. And now from verses 12 to 19, chapter 4, Peter sums up for us some practical ways in which we should respond when the world is against us because we are followers of Jesus. But just before we look at what he says, I want to talk about an important matter of size and scale. 
I was thinking that I'd really like, but I failed to find the right shop. I wanted to have, find two balls, one a tennis ball and one a great kind of blow-up um, ball of the world. And I'd start with that great big ball with the world. And if we think about persecution across the world, it may seem like a really big thing, but not something that we're really, really very involved in, in our world. We don't really meet persecution, not in the way that the world meets it. Rachel and I, in a um, previous life, before, we were, uh, before I was vicar in um, Portsmouth, we were in Indonesia, and I looked after a whole number of different congregations, uh, together with my Indonesian colleague, and uh, a lot of those congregations were struggling in different ways. Some were struggling because they were so poor, they couldn't afford to pay for ministry of, of their clergy. Um, they couldn't, some of them even afford um, properly to eat. Um, others were struggling because um, the building was about to get bulldozed down because who cares about a church when there's a mall to build? And one congregation was struggling because it was facing upfront, outright persecution. Stones were being thrown through windows. Excrement was being thrown at um, worshippers as they left the building. Um, there were, uh, the, the congregation was in fear week by week that somebody one day would take it the next step and toss a bomb through the door. In that um, set of congregations, that cluster of Anglican churches, um, it was all under one PCC meeting, and uh, some of those PCC meetings were very tedious because I couldn't really understand what they were saying, but I, it's quite hard to stay awake, not only in a PCC meeting, but a PCC meeting in a language you don't understand. That's quite difficult. But one PCC meeting I remember, and the subject, the topic of conversation in the PCC meeting was what would happen if the, if the government, which had been hardening its its stance against uh, religious communities, particularly against Christian churches, what would happen if the government decided to uh, declare Christian churches illegal? Would we as a PCC um, surrender, give up, disperse, go with the flow, do what we were told? Or would we go underground? And if so, how would we organize ourselves? I tell you, that was a really riveting PCC meeting. And you know what? In the 15 years following in Portsmouth, I never, that, that topic never made it onto the staff agenda. So it's kind of something about, you know, that's what it was like in Indonesia. And this, this kind of ping pong ball is all we have to deal with here. And you can easily end up saying to yourselves, well, we don't really suffer persecution. You know, we don't suffer persecution like them. So this doesn't really speak to us. But the thing is, what our staff team very often did discuss were, were things like, should we pray for people on the precinct outside our church? And what would be the response of the, of the city council if we did that? Should we, um, should we speak openly about the gospel in our church school? Should we allow a reading of the Quran in our carol service? And if we said no, what would be the impact of that? Should we, um, should we make an altar call on Christmas morning when nobody was expecting it? These kind of very small questions, but they were all questions about 
how does the world think about us? And if we speak out for Christ, will they, will they in some way despise us? The thing is, I, I shudder at the thought that somebody might put out my eyes or cut off my fingers for saying that I was a Christian. How would I respond if that was the choice put before me? Would I have the courage to say, I'm not going, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to heaven, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to hell with both my eyes and all my fingers. Would I have the courage to say, you can do what you want to do, but I will always be a Christian. But I gather that it's every bit as terrible if you go on dropping a drip of water on someone's forehead again and again and again for days and days. It can be just as hard to stand up for your faith with a relentless stream of meanness and of undermining comments as it can facing a one-off crisis of big, terrifying dimensions. So, the things that Peter are saying in this letter to a church that was facing horrific persecution, and there are churches, as we heard two weeks ago, across the world facing horrific persecution, but these same points also apply for us, even if all we're facing is the drip, drip, drip of, of Western materialism or of um, general contempt for all things Christian. So, Peter's advice to those who are facing fiery ordeals, which in the case of Christians in his day, were literally, might literally include being set on fire as a human torch in, uh, in the arena so that people could watch the nighttime displays. But these are going to apply just, to just as much to us, even if we're just merely suffering insults and stony looks. So what is it that Peter wants to offer you practically as a way to help you in your response in these kind of situations. And if you take notes, now's the moment to start. Okay, so six practical suggestions. And the first is, don't be surprised. That's first, Peter's first bit of practical advice. Forewarned is forearmed. You don't accept their world, their values, their gods, their priorities. So they're going to resent that and they're going to give you a hard time for it. It's just a normal part of being a Christian, of letting people know that you have a different destination and different values to them. So don't be surprised. The second is, and this is a bit odd, rejoice. Not because you're suffering, as if pain were a good thing, but because your suffering reminds you that Jesus suffered for you. You'll get new insights into how much he loves you because he suffered much worse for you than your suffering for him. And in that moment, you will also share an intimacy of fellowship with him as you suffer for him. And the other thing is that the glory of Jesus shines out most brilliantly, most brightly 
in the darkness. You'll remember that the crown with which he was crowned was woven out of big ragged thorns, that jagged thorns that went into his head on the cross. But that crown declared him king over death. And in the darkest situations that you face, you may have the privilege of seeing his glory revealed, which means that you can rejoice. Thirdly, don't hit back. I know it's tempting to give as good as you get, but all that does is lose you the the high ground, the moral high ground, and give that person an even better reason to despise you and to hate you. Better to be thought a a prig and a goody-goody because you won't speak badly of people and, and you won't do badly to them than to be thought a hypocrite because you hit out at those who badmouth you. Don't hit back. Fourthly, praise God that you bear the name of Christ. That takes us back to chapter one. What we were hearing there, remember the joy of of coming into relationship with Jesus. Bearing Christ's name brings you the joy of being utterly loved, of being forgiven, of being made new, of having an eternal future. Bearing Christ's name gives you hope because you don't belong in this world, but your citizenship is in heaven. So when people insult you for being a Christian, remember that they've just accused you of the very greatest privilege in the world. So you might reply, oh, you're absolutely right. It is such a privilege. Admittedly, that will really wind them up. It might not actually help. But praise God, because you bear the name of Christ. Fifthly, trust God. Okay, this is where it was all coming to. I know this is a tough one. When someone has it in for you, then it's pretty easy to feel unnerved. But this is what the Christian life is all about. It's all about having faith in Christ in all situations for the future. And faith is really only tested when things get ugly. So now's your chance to trust Jesus. Trust God to be with you. Trust God to give you peace in every situation. Trust God to to help you make the right response. Trust God to look after you and those whom you love, even if uh, tension is hotting up. Trust God to bring something good out of bad. Trust God for your eternal future and for theirs. Trust God that one day, God will eliminate all wickedness, all evil, all persecution and bring in his new world of grace and light and truth and joy. A perfect new world which God already has in mind to create. Trust God for that. And finally, number six, do good. Not just to stop you doing something bad, but do good positively as your, as your statement about what's happening here. Remember, you are in Christ's battle. And Christ said, conquer evil with good. 
So whenever anybody says anything bad to you, then your response needs to be, your trained response need to, needs to be to say something good back. If they do something bad to you, find a way of doing something good back. This will sow subversive seeds, which by God's grace may turn their world upside down. Do good. You remember um, the famous story of Jim Elliot, the Christian missionary who uh, with with a, a mate or two, um, parachuted in to, um, to a hostile tribe in South America who had not heard the gospel and whose customary response to newcomers was to eat them. I want to say, you have been much more welcoming to us than they were. And, and before they went in, they sang a hymn of trust in God. They went in, they tried to share the gospel and they were killed. And then Jim Elliot's wife and uh, I think another wife went in again afterwards and found that the gospel field was much more fruitful as they, as they demonstrated in their lives and their willingness to suffer the same how much God loved this people. I'm going to finish with an amazing story that comes from Indonesia, that comes from where we, were, um, where we were in Indonesia, because it sums up everything that Paul has said in this letter, has said at the, at the end in this section. Some years ago, um, extremist, um, fundamentalist, Islamicist groups were taking violent action across Indonesia, um, focused particularly against churches. Um, one terrorist at that time was specializing in uh, making homemade bombs and then going to a new community, driving to a community, finding the church, waiting for worship, and then tossing the bomb in and killing lots of Christians. He'd done that in a number of times in a number of villages, causing death and carnage. One Sunday, he'd prepared his bomb, he'd driven to a new village, he'd sought out the church, and then something went wrong and the bomb exploded prematurely. And he was, uh, whilst he was driving, he was um, severely burnt. And he woke up in terrible pain um, with his eyes blindfolded in this really calm, quiet, cool, peaceful room. He groaned. And as he groaned, gentle hand hands touched him and made him comfortable and uh, gave him a little drink to sip. Gentle voices spoke words of encouragement. Each time he expressed a need, it was met with gentleness and with kindness. What a wonderful place this was. And then a terrible thought began to grow in him. He suppressed it, tried to ignore it, but it just grew all the more, all the more. And finally, with desperation, he groaned out, where am I? And a gentle voice replied, you're in hospital. Don't be afraid. He said, yes, yes, but what kind of hospital? And the voice said, a Christian hospital. And he said, do you know why I'm so burned like this? And they said, the voice said, yes, you were carrying a bomb in your car. And he said, do you know where I was taking that bomb? And the voice said, 
Yes, you were taking it to our church. And he said, so why are you treating me so kindly? There was a pause. And the young, gentle voice replied, Our Lord Jesus has suffered terribly for us. And he has asked us to forgive you for what you intended to do for us and what you may do in the future. He's asked us to treat you with as much kindness and skill as we can for his sake so that you can know that he loves you too. The man lapsed into silence. And by the time they took the bandages off his eyes, he had forsworn his terrorism and opened his heart to the forgiveness of the Lord who had expressed his love through such kindness from those who had so little reason to be so. Well, our context is different, clearly, but the principles are the same. We shouldn't be surprised if we suffer trials for our faith, whether they're fiery or not. Let's rejoice in Christ's suffering for us. Let's not hit back, but let's praise God that we bear the name of Christ. Let's commit ourselves to our faithful creator and continue to do good in his name. And so may we have the joy of seeing the glory of Jesus shine forth in a dark place and be revealed through us. Just a moment of quiet. If you're willing to take the name of Jesus, and I'd like to invite you to stand. If you're willing to stand with those who do, whether or not that's a deep conviction of your own, I invite you to stand as well. Shall we stand at the name of Jesus, in whose name we're called?